Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman. Thanks very much for your company. Um, I must say as well, a big thank you to charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, who my son is actually using now uh, because he's uh, possibly in the process of moving. And given the sort of um, advice that he's been given, I can highly recommend Dave and his company. And thank you to them for supporting us. And if you want to find out more about them, have a look at the website, charleslouis.co.uk, um, and ring the number. Have a look at the website, as I say, but ring the number and tell them you're a blue, and I'm sure you'll get great service. Uh, now, I've got three guests on the podcast tonight, two of which you'll be very familiar with. Uh, one is Harlan, who is now uh, getting more and more prolific as our 13th man on Twitter. A little bit of YouTube stuff as well this week. Who knows where it can all lead to? So, Harlan is a the number one guest, that's no disrespect to Louisa, who is the number two guest, who is also another regular on the podcast. But we also have Andy, who is effectively a new podcast uh, member tonight. So thanks very much, Andy, for coming along. Uh, right, um, let's start with the, uh, the thrashing of Liverpool. Um, uh, each of you tell me, we'll start with the new man, Andy. Tell, tell us about what you thought of the game against Liverpool um, in, in whatever aspect, you, whether it starts at the, the parade, whether it starts at the, the thrashing, whether it's the VAR decision near the end, you can go through it however you, however you want. I saw it from, from, three, from four or five different perspectives. Ahead of the game, I thought, oh, I wasn't looking forward to it. I thought they'd actually probably give us a good stuffing. Um, the, the parade, it just looked like two, two people two rows of people waiting for a bus. That's what it came across like. I don't think we were that particularly bothered, neither were the players, particularly Bernardo, fantastic that. And then the first 20 minutes, I thought my suspicions were true. I thought it's only a matter of time. And then before I knew it, we were three up and I was disappointed we'd not scored eight at the end. So <laughs> we had that many great chances. So I was, uh, yeah, proper, proper chuffed. Yeah, definitely. Are you a VAR fan? I mean, what did you make of the decision at the end when uh, the fifth goal was ruled out? I was just... <sighs> the rule's wrong, for a start. VAR, VAR wouldn't even look at the handball situation unless that was, there was a new rule on handball. If it, if it existed last year, then Laurenti's goal for Spurs wouldn't have counted. Uh, you can make an argument like that. But surely it, it works if the actual, um, if the ball hits the hand and it creates a goal in the box. <clears throat> or if, it, if you look at the goal, Aguero scored his actual goal against Arsenal last season when he slid in and it went off his arm and went in. So that would be an example where it should have been disallowed. But when you, when Foden went down, being pulled down, I, I thought, by, by Fabinho, and then the ball brushed across his knuckles as he fell. But Mora still had to run 20, 30 yards before putting it away. I mean, that, that's just plain ridiculous. It's almost as ridiculous as the Marigold for Spurs, who actually fell as the ball hit him and Kane scored and that was disallowed. That's not adding anything to the game. That, that's ruining it further. It needs to be dropped and, and not, don't wait, don't wait until, until the start of next season. Drop it now before it actually, we have another Laurenti moment, if you like. What was your emotion, though, uh, at the, the manner of that victory? Did you feel that that was... A relief to you? Did that just let out all that pent-up emotion? The fact that City failed to win the title this season, uh, did it mean more because it was Liverpool? Did it feel like a relief? 
To an extent, yeah. I mean, beating Liverpool by that sort of margin is, is, is always fantastic. And the fact it's happened twice in the last three years, but it, 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 does, it pales into significance the emotion and, and the joy I got from the 2-1 win last year, you know, A, because we were there, and, and, the, and the, the importance of that, of that particular game. What really pleased me about last night was the fact we did it uh, with so many of the players who played in that 2-1 game that were missing. Vinny because he's left, Sergio because he's injured, Fernandinho because he's suspended, Sane because he's left, Silva was on the bench. We, we put out a team that involved two of the kids from the, from the ranks. And, and once we got settled, once Kevin got them calmed down and settled after about 20 minutes, Oh, and he's frozen. So we'll move on to Harlem while he unfreezes. What did you make of it? I know you've you've been quite um, vociferous this week on your own channel that you've developed in now as well about Benjamin Mendy and other players. How, how did you feel the game went? Yeah, obviously last night Mendy playing in a back four. Obviously, I'd prefer to see him in 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 a in a five in midfield as as a wing back. But <clears throat> I thought last night his his comments last week before the Chelsea game came back to bite him a bit. Um, because he he performed um, okay in that game, made one mistake and it, and it, and it grated on him. I think in the game, it, 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 you know, it got him down, and I think Pep noticed that and took him off. Last night, his comments were completely backed up this week, saying that Pep had trusted him and that he believed that, given that trust, he'd be able to perform better. Thought last night, Mendy was fantastic defensively and offensively. The way that he challenged people, the way that he went in body first, which is what he didn't do against Pulisic last week, Ian. Um, he stuck a leg in and that's, as my dad always used to say to me and my granddad too, that's the way to get your leg broken. Uh, last night, body in, powerhouse and showed exactly what we signed him for. Uh, ball across the box as well, which was absolutely exquisite. If Aguero was there, I mean, no doubt about it that that would have gone in. Jesus doesn't gamble enough for me. But Mendy was terrific and I think all round, man for man last night, we were absolutely outstanding and we covered every blade of grass and touching on what Andy said, um, although we didn't have some players that played in that 2-1, I had the, it had the same feeling as that too, in the fact that every player wanted it. And I think that's the reason why we came away with the 4-0 victory in last night. On the subject of Mendy, obviously I'm just the same as everybody else. I'm not used to doing this, but I was watching the game on TV and Gary Neville actually picked out, he, I think the phrase he used was, you know, City have hit the ground running since they came back after the close down. But the player who's done it more than anybody else is Benjamin Mendy. Now, I can't deny that I slightly raised my eyebrow when, I said, when he said that because of the mistakes he'd, he'd made in, in an earlier game. But are you agreeing with him then on that? Um, he made a massive mistake last week. Him and Gundogan got in each other's way against Chelsea. And it, it was one of them mistakes that I only think we made that mistake because, like I said on a podcast months ago, we don't defend much anymore. We don't have to defend much. There's not a demand on defending. So when we have to defend... We're inclined to make more mistakes because we're such a front foot side and because we primarily concentrate on going forward. But I just believe that Mendy last night um, showed exactly what he's about and in the Chelsea game, maybe not so much. So I think it's been a mixed bag for Mendy over the course of the last four or five games. But yeah, I, I was impressed last night and, and it's just started you mean to go on now and push on from that. And if he can perform like that at the weekend, um, it'll start to get a lot of the fans that aren't keen on him on side, I think. And uh, like I said, overall last night, man for man, I thought we were outstanding. And uh, Liverpool, what we really, and that was a good thumping. Pretty much every City fan will have enjoyed that, Louisa. Uh, I'm assuming that you will would have had a big smile on your face when four goals, if not five, were put past Liverpool. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, against any team, obviously, that kind of score is fantastic. Um, and then certainly against the um, current champions, you know, because I sort of feel that... Um, However unfair this might sound to Liverpool fans um, and maybe neutral fans, I actually feel like we've lost the league this year uh, because we you know we we made quite a lot of mistakes earlier in the season and we uh, didn't win games that we should have done. And you know, it's so I think I do think we lost it. Um, the way we've played since we've come back since the lockdown, there hasn't been one bad game, there hasn't been one slip up, and I'll still maintain the same thing that I've said the last couple of times we've chatted like this. Um, Pep's done something to this squad to prepare them for these empty stadiums. I haven't seen one team play as well as we've played yet consistently throughout all these matches since we've all come back. Um, I don't know what he's done. I don't know if it's the players individually. I don't know if there's a psychologist in the team I don't know if it's pet whatever is happening that team is playing like there is a massive crowd at that stadium and it's so impressive to see that you know that they're, 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 they're it goes to show that they're playing not just for the fans because you know you can probably argue that some players do that uh, they're playing for themselves and they're playing for the team I don't want to be negative in the way that this question is couched. It is just a question. But you've said that you think City are playing as well as if there was a crowd behind them. Um, is there an argument to say that the opposition that City have faced have actually not played as well as they would have done if there'd been a crowd behind them? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I said this um, at the Arsenal game, you know, as soon as they went behind, they, were, they just couldn't seem to claw their way back. And Arsenal are, are usually, you know, they're a team, they're one of the top teams that can come back from, from being one or two goals down. So that was definitely an effect that much that I noticed immediately. Um, and I've been watching other teams since uh, to see how they respond if they go a goal down. And it's, it's a struggle. And Liverpool play, they were unrecognisable to me, uh, you know, in, in that match the other night. You know, they were very slow. They were controlled. They were very good at control, um, but they were too slow. Uh, it seemed like they were too affected by something. Uh, it, it might not have been the crowd. I don't know. Maybe it was the relief of winning that the championship and they've just sat back and relaxed and thought, oh, well, you know, we've won it now nothing to lose, no need to break my leg, you know, and be out for a season or so, you know, maybe it's that mentality. I've no idea. I'm not a psychologist <laughs> and I'm not involved in, in any of the teams, but I do think that they didn't play up to par the other night and um, we absolutely pounced on them. Uh, we did have a bit of a quiet spell. I think it was just after that first goal uh, where they were kind of uh, attacking us quite a fair bit and I think they they could have snuck one in and maybe should have snuck one in or maybe two they didn't um and you know and we sort of managed to just hang on and hang on till we got that second goal and once we got that second goal I, I honestly don't think there was there was a comeback from them I just, even if it ended up a draw I think they'd have won that match after that so well, I hope everybody who's listening to this will also have watched the match day vlog that I did uh, for the Liverpool game. And if they did, they will have heard a little bit from Sean Galton before the game. Now, this was before the game, but I'm just going to play a little bit now of what Sean said, which, he, which I asked him the question as to whether football was the same as it would have been if crowds were still in. Here's what he had to say. But yeah, I've been I've been looking forward to the games. I've enjoyed the games, and 
yeah, a little disappointed. Obviously, we knew at some point they would, they would go on to do what they've done, but uh, I think we've still got a, a really interesting season ahead for, for City and could be still a very successful season. What's your honest opinion about the return now? Because not only are you a football fan, but you're a tactician, you're a coach, you're going to be starting your new academy. There's all sorts of things that give you a real passion for football. Do you think that what we're seeing now, obviously in empty stadiums, is the same as it would be if crowds were in there? Well, I, I like to think that the crowds give you that extra, you know, push from perhaps the ball. Uh, it, it just gives you a little bit more because when, you, when you're playing a game and perhaps a team is getting the better of you, the crowd come into it and, and you, you get a surge of energy. And whether that surge of energy is for a couple of minutes or whether that's for, uh, uh, you know, creating a, a momentum, and that could be 30 minutes, it could be a half. Crowds do play a huge part. So, again, if you're, if you're in a game and you're perhaps, you know, chasing a game or behind in a game, you're not quite playing well, the crowds could actually lift you and give you, give you a bit of a boost. So, um, hopefully not, it won't be too long that we gradually start to get the fans back um, because, yes, we need the football, um, but I think we also need the fans to be back as well. Now, those are interesting comments by Sean. Um, I was watching a Liverpool game and obviously I, as a regular match-going fan, it's, I'm not enjoying watching them on TV, I'll be honest with you. But I was, I was actually thinking, what was running through my mind as the game was unfolding was there would be a very, very intense atmosphere. There would actually be a lot of hatred. Um, I've been watching the games without the crowd effects on uh, when I can. Uh, my wife insists sometimes on having the FIFA crowd effects or whatever they are on. Uh, and last night I said, please kind of listen to it as it is. I just wanted the authentic experience. So with the no crowd in the background, I was thinking, well, obviously, sorry to go back again, but when I have listened to it with the crowd, all you ever hear is Blue Moon and all the sort of relatively safe, sanitised stuff. We know that that Liverpool game would have been full of, you're not champ. I mean, I'm going to swear anything, but you know, you're not champions and F off and all real venomous stuff from both Liverpool and City. And while some people might say, well, it's better this way, you know, it's a family sport and everything. Um, part of the passion of football is that sort of real venomous stuff. I don't get involved in it, I'm honest, but I just realised <clears throat> that it is part of, of football. And I think that would have made a bit of a difference. And I don't think Liverpool could have come to the Etihad, and this is not to degrade City's performance, but have actually been as poor as they were last night. They had a couple of chances, but they, they showed no fight whatsoever. So I think Sean's comments about the crowd making a bit of a difference um, are true. And I think City, personally, I think City benefit from this training situation where uh, there is no atmosphere, there is no jeopardy. And of course, Liverpool had nothing to play for in theory. Um, so that, that's my own view, Harlan. Um, what, what do you reckon? Um, I can get where you're coming from, but adding to one, uh, sorry, adding one, uh, adding on to what Louise has said, Ian. I'm sure Andy is of the same opinion as us as well. I hope we all are. Uh, if we're not, then then each of their own. But that just shows you how good a team we are, then, and how intense Pep is. Surely that that we can cope without a crowd, and that it's still professional no matter what. I mean. Doesn't this just prove us all right then when we all say that Liverpool without their fans are nothing at home? Um, if they can't play well enough without fans, then what does that say about the players? Um, 
I'm not saying that players should be should have to play without fans. Don't misinterpret what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying to say is, we are that good that we listen. The players do need us. They do need us fans, but they can play without the fans because it's their job. Now, if the Liverpool players aren't playing well enough because they've not got fans, they're not being very professional, are they? And their fans should be disgusted in their own players for not turning up and and playing well enough and being as motivated as Klopp wanted them to be. Because Klopp's interview after the game completely contradicts the majority of that fan base last night with excuses and excuses and excuses. So Klopp wouldn't have defended the Liverpool fans last night and he was just as infuriated as I'm sure the players were. And the fans completely think that they'd be making up the same excuses as them, etc., etc. He'll have been disgusted last night. Them players weren't professional enough to deal with us as their fans would have hoped for without them in the ground. Andy? Yeah, I think, well, you, you, you're never going to re- replace a live crowd environment. I mean, it, it brings a certain unique perspective to any given game. And that, and that was more evident, I thought, at Newcastle. Um, because what New, the, 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 the Gallagher end is their, is their 12th man. And Newcastle pretty much put out the same side as the one that drew 2-2 with us last year. And their fans got them over the line at the end. And they were missing, and Newcastle couldn't deal with it. And, uh, and I, I think our performance at Newcastle wasn't too different to the one we put we put in place in the autumn last year when we drew two two. So certain crowds and certain games, I think Newcastle's a good example. As I said Leeds is another one. They rely on 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 their fans a lot, and and I, I think so does Liverpool. I think they they rely on the cup a lot, and and the press are always bigging up the cup. You know, European nights under floodlights at Anfield. Oh, God, do me a favour. You know, but I think, I think Alan's right. I think Pep has got his players so motivated. Um, so a game with or without fans or on the training pitch, you've got the same level of intensity. And that, that was certainly evident last night. So and, this, is, um, this is a question, you know, a serious question. Um, I've, I've heard what you've said. And it's hard to imagine this. It absolutely is hard to imagine this. But if that game had been played in that stadium last night, just after Liverpool had won the title, everything the same, but there'd been 55,000 in it, you think the game itself, the intensity, the whatever it is that you, you want to talk about, you think it would have been any different? Or do you think we saw exactly the same game that we would have seen had there been fans in that ground? From City, yeah. Definitely, I think you'd have seen the same performance with or without fans because of what I said about Pep and, how, and what he demands. Would Liverpool be any different? And you can't say they didn't work hard. I mean, Mane probably had his worst game ever in terms of miscontrolling the ball twice inside the six-yard box. Would have 3,000 Liverpool fans made him any different? Maybe they'd have been yelling at him to control it better and that might have made him play worse. It's difficult, it's difficult to say, Ian. I, I think that... We'd have won that game, I think, on the on the basis of what I saw last night, whether there was no one there or there was fifty five thousand there. Ian last night Ian last night's game came down to footballing principles and it came down to execution and the fact that we were first to every ball, Phil Fordham was running the show. Um you're going on about how Henderson's gonna win player of the year. Kevin De Bruyne and Fordham um were running rings around him all night. Van Dyke's supposed to be the best center half in, in the country. Him and Fordham and De Bruyne played a one-two round him and made him look like um, a yesteryear Matthew Upson, no disrespect to Matthew Upson. So, um, it, it was one of them, Ian, last night. We were just first to every ball and the, the, the fantastic um, interchange and, 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 and everything was just top-notch. And 
Pep must have been drilling the players so much this week to make sure that we went into that game fully motivated, fully fit, as sharp as anything. And I agree with Andy, you know, the Liverpool fans do make a difference, but the players are within themselves in that game and they are completely and utterly, you know, responsible for what goes on on that pitch. Not every player likes listening to the fans and takes that on board. Certain players do. I'm sure Vinnie Company that night when we were screaming and shouting with anxiety against Leicester, um, soaked all that anxiety up and put every bit of that anxiety into that right foot of his and struck the ball with that much venom and power because the fans were pushing that ball in the back of the net. But it doesn't happen to every player. You know, Henderson, if he's going to be the player of the year, is he only the player of the year with fans in the ground? I'm not having it. Obviously, there's the other side of looking at this is it's sort of like building up the momentum for next season. Louisa, do you, do you take from a 4-0 victory against Liverpool, should have been five, um, possibly should have been more, uh, do you take that as grounds for optimism that, that either Liverpool have gone over the hill um, or that City are now ma have made a statement of intent for next season? How do you read that result? Um, I think that um, Liverpool were affected by the lack of a crowd. So I don't think we were, but I think they were. So when they get the crowds back next season, they'll be back to the form that they have been on. Uh, you know, I'm still not going to take anything away from them. Um, they still played incredibly well, you know, this season. Of course, they have their champions. Um, I think that mentally, since, we've, since we lost the uh, league, we, I heard it said last night and I felt the same, the night before, and I felt the same, that this is, this is the beginning of our next season. Because I think it's pretty much, apart from maybe a one or two week break, this is going to continue just straight through. So if we're mentally already into next season now, then it's just going to continue as a flow. And the way we are playing at this moment in time is incredible. Can you imagine, uh, as you know, what Sean said as well, is if we did have fans in the stadium, can you imagine how much more, can we get better than we were the other night? Seriously? I mean, I know, you know, we touched on him a little bit. Yeah, he could perhaps uh, play a little bit better or more consistent. But, you know, out of the, the others... I, I was absolutely um, amazed and I, I can't think of enough words to say for individuals or as a collective, apart from uh, Kevin, you know, who amongst that elite and amongst that skill of all the players, even the Liverpool players, he is still standing out. How is he doing this? How is he this amazing? Um, I, I said the other night um, on um, uh, to a friend, we can call him the artist, the creator, you know, whatever you want to call him. I'm calling him the gift. That's my mm. word. That's my name for him. Because this guy is outstanding. I think that have um, I think there have been a few more ferocious challenges last night, Ian, in all honesty, um, with the crowd in the stadium, with us behind him, with that venom you're talking about. I think a couple of the challenges that were flying in would have been a bit more ferocious. Um, I think there have been a few... Um, crosswords between a few players for some late challenges, few arms in the back, this, that and the other. I think there have been a few superlatives, uh, not superlatives, sorry, um, wrong words being shouted from the crowd when uh, when uh, Mane went down. And um, I think there have been a few uh, different pieces of uh, expletive information thrown across from one part of the South Stand to the other. But um, yeah, I definitely believe that, you know, in terms of that, the fans somewhat um, in a game like that build up that, that kind of um, venomous atmosphere. 
and I think there would have been a few more uh, bits and bats last night and um, it would have made it a bit more um, rowdy, if you want to call it that, but the football, sublime from us. I think it says an awful lot about Pep himself. I mean, how he is motivating these players. I mean, you, 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 you're right about Kevin. He is a gift. But last year in the run-in, he was injured. And and we had to we had to thought I thought are we going to actually manage to to maintain this run of Vic wins without him in the side, and we did, and that that is down to Pep how he motivates the team, making players believe perhaps they're better than what maybe they think they are, you know. So I mean Gundogan's a classic example is is a no no nonsense player he does his job, and Pep tells him. That you know what 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 a, what a talent he is, and he said it often enough. But because we don't see him do what Kevin does, like driving from midfield and 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 his crosses and his shooting, you know he got, he gets undervalued. But I think Pep's motivation of every single player, from from Pep to to to, to Foden to Underwood, etc. 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 That to me is is our as our biggest weapon, and and it will be interesting to see how the players respond. When, when Pep decides to call it a day. I mean, hopefully he doesn't. I hope he signs a new contract. But, Obviously. But well, I'm going to go into that subject a little bit more in a, in a moment or two, actually. Uh, for the la last word on the game for now, anyway. Uh, Louisa? Well, I just want to pick up on something Harlan said then about the venom, you know, of the crowd and the atmosphere. Um, there's also an argument for referees and how they're maybe influenced throughout matches. Um, yeah. and, you know, it's arguable if that uh, penalty would have been a penalty in the first instance had there been a 50,000 strong crowd, you know, and certainly a lot of away fans there shouting, you know, um, for there maybe not to be a penalty or, or whatever. You know, that might have been over looked and oh no it's no penalty kind of thing you know because it was argy-bargy at the end of the day a little bit too much argy-bargy which is how we got penalty but on another day with a full stadium referees under pressure who knows that that decision could have gone a very different way so I think it's referees also that are making a big difference to this. Now, I know there were um, 10 days or so as we're recording this away from the CAS decision on City being in Europe. Uh, and that's something we'll talk about a little bit more uh, in the next podcast. Uh, but maybe the future of Pep Guardiola and maybe the future of Kevin De Bruyne um, and, and maybe who else, maybe uh, Koulibaly coming in, might be dependent on the outcome of that. We don't know. But... Um, Andy mentioned about Pep and Leroy Sane's move now has been confirmed. He's gone. He's signed for Bayern Munich. He had a year to go. And we're not used to, as City fans, uh, certainly in, in recent years, obviously happened a lot in the past, of other clubs coming and effectively cherry-picking. Now, you, you may um, react and to say, ah, oh, glad to see Sane go. I don't consider that to be cherry-picking. That's up to you and, you and your opinions. But as far as I'm concerned... Uh, Sane is one of the best players in Europe and he's chosen to go somewhere else and I know that there's been rumours of him wanting to go back to Germany because he was homesick uh, to be nearer his mother or in the company of his mother more um, and other rumours as well but the fact is he's gone uh, and the fact that Pep has now at the moment only got one year left on his contract um, and at the moment hasn't committed beyond uh, the this, this season he's still got to come. I just wonder, is there some uncertainty now? And it, it, I mean, I want to widen out this debate a little bit to 
you know, the rebuilding programme that may or may not need to be done. And I've got another quote from Sean Galter on that subject in just a moment or two. So there's a whole lot of things here, but do you worry about the lack of uh, a confirmed commitment from Pep? And do you fear that he's also waiting for the cast decision? Or is that not part of it, do you think? I, just, I think Pep, Pep will go anyway, regardless of the cast decision at the end of next season. I think he's, he's I hope he doesn't, but I think he, 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 he never stays normally for th to three years. The fact we've had five out of him at the end. But if he goes, um, Andy, and you're trying to persuade K K you know, Kubiali or, or anybody else to come to City, and, and they suspect or believe that themselves, and you know, and Sane, you know, said in his departing statement, had four marvelous years, fantastic coach. He had a year to go. What could it have been in the back of his mind as he decided to go to Bayern Munich? Well, if I stay another year, that'll be Pep's going anyway. Uh, I don't want to do that. In other words, is this all related to Pep now going forward? Not, not with Sane's concern. Sane was going to go last year uh, if wanted him for his injury, and, and I do, I do believe. You know, that is going for family reasons. And Bayern's, Bayern's convenient, you know. He knows he's going to win title after title there. And he's, uh, and he's got, a young, he's got a, young, a, young, a young kid and his, his parents are back there. And he's still relatively quite young, a young man. And I think Germany is his home. Whereas when David Silva came here, it was a new adventure for him. It, um, and, and, and his family grew up and were born here. Same with Fernandinho, his family mm. was were born and grew up here mm. and, and, and I think those players never had a reason to want to go back to their home country because City became their family I've always felt Sane mm. pretty much intended to go at some point anyway I, I think there's a difference in personality between him and the other stalwarts in the team and the he fact was he, was office, he was a bit box office though wasn't he we because, himself, yeah. well, well I don't mean that in a negative way actually but you're entitled to say it negatively if you want but I remember going on a pre-season trip to uh, America um, three years ago or something and I was talking to people on the tram believe it or not that were going to the game that City were playing in and they were saying I, I said who do you recognise of the City team you know they weren't City fans but they were going to it because it was a big game who do you recognise and it was always Leroy Sane he was the first player that they were naming uh, they recognised him from, from posters and whatnot, and that actually surprised me a bit because he was relatively new to City at the moment and I ex certainly expected him then to go for Aguero David Silva um, you know, I think Joe Hart might have still been at the club at the time, you know, other players. But they went for, for Sane, his box office. So, you know, is that a, is that a damage to the so-called brand that he's gone? I remember you telling me that story, Ian. I remember you telling me that story, I think it's like 2016 to all that, wasn't it, when Sane had just signed? <laughs> and, yeah, I remember you saying the words box office. You actually said it in the same way you just said it now. And... Um, he, he he was almost. I think Adam. Or Adam. I think Adam. He's on the podcast. For those listeners that are listening, referred to him once or twice on the podcast as the pinup boy and the Ronaldo of our team. Some of the that would that would get endorsements and would look for sponsorship deals and would become that pinup boy on young football players and aspiring football players' walls. And I think he'll do that in Germany now. There's going to be loads of German kids that are going to want to be the next Sane now because he's joined Bayern Munich and they are the biggest club in Germany. And I said um, two weeks ago in on the podcast. I don't begrudge him his move to Bayern Munich. My, 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 my disgruntlement with it all is how it's been managed and how it's been done and the tapping up that's been muted, that's been muted and everything. And 
Um, you know, I don't, I don't criticise Sane for that. And let's look. I'm not saying he's gone for the money, but he's been offered almost double his contract at City to go back to Bayern Munich. And like Andy said, you know, the money on top of the fact it's Germany, on top of the fact that he's young, on top of the fact that his family are there, and the fact that they're the biggest club in Germany, all them things for Leroy Sane make it the perfect deal. And it's not a disrespect towards City because it's like, you know, we are a big club. Why would he not want to stay with us? I think it's just more of that, that home comforts type thing and that he wanted to go home. But, you know, I don't think we've got to worry about attracting big players whether Pep goes or stays because I think that the person that comes in will be in the Pep mould, maybe Nagelsmann, uh, Julian Nagelsmann I'm referring to there from, uh, from Leipzig or somebody along that kind of, um, or somebody in, within that radar. And it'll be somebody that will want to play a similar style of football and so that will want to take us forward. So I think regardless of whether Pep stays or goes, the foundations will be there and will attract big players, definitely. We'll get Louisa on this in a second. I'm just going to play a bit more of Sean Golter now, which broadens the debate out, uh, which is, I asked him, you know, what City need to do to close the gap on Liverpool. It might seem a strange position, uh, question to ask, um, when City have just beaten Liverpool 4-0. But, you know, you get the point. There is a lot of gap closing to go. There's not going to be any David Silva next year. There's now not going to be any Leroy Sane next year. Uh, this is what Sean Golter had to say. I actually like this Garcia. I, I'd, I'd like to see more of him because he could be the potential replacement. But I haven't seen him play consistent enough, enough games to say he's had 10 games and I'll be able to analyse and say, Yes, he can, he can do the job. He's ready. He comes in, he plays a game or two, then, then he's out. Uh, obviously, the last game he's had the injury. So, who knows? But we always, we always think, since Vincent Company's gone, we think, where's that center half? Where's that, you know, that other center half that will play alongside Laporte uh, where we would have, you know, two amazing center halves with, with a quality goalkeeper behind him um, and with quality in front as well. So, I think that may be an important area to look at. For me, Phil Foden should be a regular. Uh, I've seen enough to know that he's ready. Uh, he's more than ready to step in and do the job. And, and, and do the job to the point that not only do we step up, uh, but even push on. So I, I feel that Phil Foden is, is ready as well. The, the Aguero situation, um, I like to think Aguero's got another, another season. Um, but I think as well, the season coming up will be very interesting because it's a decision on whether he sticks with Jesus and Jesus has to deliver and, a, and Aguero has to look and think, I can't get in because he's, so consistent, he's scoring so consistently. And that, I think, would be the, the best situation because you'd have two strikers because you know that Sergio, when he gets a chance, he'll put them away. Um, but as long as we're relying on Aguero, we don't, we know we can't allow him to have uh, to be out of period, whether it's injury or something else. So we need we need that that backup, and I'd like to think Jesus can do it as well. So Sean's identifying central defence, but quite praising in Eric Garcia, who of course played against uh, Liverpool. Um, and the question remains: if there's a doubt over the future of Pep, is it time to rebuild? Could Kubiali? I was pronounce his name wrong but you know what I mean um, could he come in um, as a sort of Robin Van Persie towards the end of, of um, Alex Ferguson's career as, a, as, as the answer defensively for one season for Pep to, 
to do big things again next season and then he moves on, um, you know, or has Pep got the stomach for a complete rebuild and does City need a complete rebuild? They are second, they just thrashed Liverpool. So I'm, I'm putting both sides of this argument, but, but, you know, what does City need? Garcia's a very good player, Ian. He's a terrific young player. We were concerned last year about his height and I think last night he showed exactly what he's capable of football-wise. He's composed on the ball. Um, don't forget he was concussed two weeks ago. You wouldn't think he was concussed last night. He'd have thought one of the front three of Liverpool were concussed the way that he <laughs> defended. Um, in fact, he'd have thought all three of them were because they were dizzy as anything all night because we were twisting and turning them and pulling them all over the shop. The problem with, um, the, problem with um, the central defensive side of our game this year has been that Garcia has not maybe been trusted to be chucked in there and, 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 and you know, sink or swim and he's not maybe been trusted to swim because how, if, you know, if you do that with players and they don't swim, how much damage do you do to that player? You know, if they, if they, for example, are demotivated then by the fact that they've not maybe performed the way you were expecting them to. Stones is still one that's on, that I'm on the fence about. Um, he played in a back three of, you know, him, company and Laporte, I think last season, he looked really good. I think Stones needs a leader uh, either side of him or a leader on one side of him to stop him from drifting out wide and getting pulled out of position. But I think if you bring Koulibaly in and he does the job and he is everything that he... He's promised to be and does what he says on the tin. I think that would definitely, on its own, solve our defensive problem. And then I'd be looking maybe to not even replace Sane and play Braff. Just maybe get another striker in to give Jesus a bit more of a boot so that he really genuinely believes that he's got to do something special to really replace Aguero when Aguero does leave. I, I love Jaden Braff and I've seen him play quite, quite a few games. But are you telling me that to close the gap on Liverpool next season, you're suggesting that a player who's yet to be proven at first-team level is the answer to Sane's departure? No, um, but as far as I see it, I know that we didn't win the league in the first season that Leroy Sane was with us, but when we signed Sane, how did we know that he was going to hit the ground running? Um, Jaden Braff is just one player that could play on that left-hand side. Phil Foden could play out there. He's so versatile. It's, un it's unreal. Street footballer, if ever I've seen one. Um, and he clearly proved that last night. Um, there's other options there. Zinchenko could be pushed up. And Mendy mm. could secure his spot at left back. We could mm. sign another fullback. We could sign a fullback instead of a left winger and push Zinchenko up. Um, I think Mendy's a wing back, not a defender. So I don't think he's a left back by any means. So we could play wing backs next year and rule that um, rule that wing problem out or that winger problem out and push two inside forwards inside or or play one centre attacking mid and two strikers and play Azusa and Aguero. So there's loads of options. And if if there's anyone out there that knows how to how to mix and match and swap and change and mould formations, etc., etc., and create new systems. It's, it's the master there and the Messiah, Pep Guardiola. Um, Louisa, does City need to rebuild? Uh, well, first of all, I sort of want to refer back to all those years of pain that we had and the amount of managers that we went through that didn't do this club or this team any good whatsoever. It's very when um, teams just churn and churn through managers nothing's going to work no matter what players you buy and no matter what you try and do with the structure of the team you know you need stability um you know the most successful clubs in the world have had stable managers you know even in this country you've had you know across the other side of the city you know how many years was ferguson in that seat it worked even wenger at arsenal yeah they didn't win as many as man united but the consistency is there and I think first of all the priority of this club 
is to keep Pep Guardiola no matter what they have to pay him or offer him or what, what I don't know but we have to keep him I do not want to start going through lots and lots of managers over the next few years because no matter what great players we've got it's not going to work so that's point number one uh, point number two um, I think uh, and I've mentioned this in other uh, podcasts as well that um, teams are reading us now. You know, I mean, Pep brought this style of play in and it took everyone a couple of years to catch up. But now everyone is catching up. Other teams are playing very similar. So we now need to change what we're doing and bring in a new idea uh, through Pep, hopefully. And so that new idea might, might be to, you know, everyone's thinking, how do we replace Aguero? You know, how do we replace Sane? Well, how about not trying to replace like for like because that's probably never going to happen. You can't replace Alan Shearer with another Alan Shearer. You know, you can't replace an Eric Cantona with an Eric Cantona because they don't, it doesn't exist. So, um, same with us. You can't replace Aguero. Who, who can replace him? You can't. So, I think now what we need to do, we have the players. We have the talent. We're not, we're not missing uh, players. The, the bench is overflowing with talent. And look what happened with Zinchenko you all know I'm a big fan Harlan does too look what happened when they just had to shift his position now he's not a natural defender he won't be in that position probably ever again unless we really struggle but look how he adapted look how amazing he was so what happens if you sort of put that player there a little bit or move that player there a little bit We've got the players, we've got the talent. I quite like the idea of Mendy becoming more, a bit more central and a bit more forward, to be honest with you. Because I, like, I think he's great. I think he's fantastic the way he does move up that wing. Why can't he, you know, why can't he be a bit more versatile? Why can't he come a bit more forward? And let's get a couple of new defenders. Who knows? Pep knows. We've got to keep him. Lovely speech there by Louisa. That was uh, that was real good stuff. That that was. That, I mean, used to have Paul Lake regularly, and no doubt we'll have him on again at, at some point on programmes that I've, I've I've done. And I always used to praise Lakey for his Churchillian speeches. Um, so that was uh, that was sort of that type of thing, really, wasn't it? Um, what are you as optimistic, Andy, uh, that that Pep will? Well, you've said you don't think Pep will necessarily stay, but that. There doesn't need to be a big rebuild then, which is what Louise is saying. Well, I'd like to agree with the uh, the right honourable Louisa from the pet party. I'm right with her on that one. I think he <laughs> he needs he needs to stay. Um, and I think we I think we will do our level best to see Sheikh Mansour and Khaldun are not like Abramovich at Chelsea, who would argue he would say, Well, I, I've changed my manager six times in the last decade and next to us. They're the most successful club in, in the last ten in the last ten ten years, but I think you know sort of having that solidity with with a manager that everybody wants to play with, and as we've as I was saying earlier, you've seen that the the, the performances the, the team put, puts out regardless of fans or no fans because they believe in him. Um, in terms of replacements, um, I'm not so much worried about the Sane replacement because you know as Alan was saying, you know Zinchenko can play out on the left, Bolden can play on the left. Um, I think we probably do need a centre half. Absolutely, definitely. Kabali seems to be the obvious choice, even at 29. Um, you could make an argument for Ake from Bournemouth as, as to come in if Stones and and Otamendi were to leave, and Garcia becomes the fourth centre back. But we need to think pro- primarily, I think, about what's going to happen when Merlin goes. 
you can't replace Merlin. That's impossible. He's unique as a one-off. But in centre midfield, we may need maybe a promising up-and-coming midfielder who actually um, plays, who comes in when 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 Foden's not playing. So he's like his sort of apprentice, if you will. Um, and then up front, I'm not really worried that too much about Jesus. He is, he is the same age that Aguero was when he arrived in 2011. Uh, he'll be, um, he'll get, he'll get a lot better. But we may, maybe this Moreno is meant to be um, the, the junior that sits on, sits behind him. So for me, a centre back, a central midfielder, maybe a left, a left back if Zinchenko moves on to the left hand side of midfield. In the next podcast we do, um, just looking forward now at the calendar, um, is probably going to be in reaction to the cast. A decision, and I believe that's coming on the 12th or 13th of July. Uh, the 13th is a Monday, so it'll probably be Monday night when we record. Uh, we're re-recording this one on the Friday, the day after the uh, Liverpool victory. Um, so that's that's when to expect the next podcast to uh, to hit uh, hit SoundCloud and wherever you get your your, your, uh, your podcasts from. And the reason I mention is that is because between now and then there are three league games. Uh, Southampton and Brighton away and a home game against Newcastle. I don't want to go through each one of those three games, um, but my question to you really is whether or not, um, now that the league is over, now that the big grudge match against Liverpool is over, um, is your interest going to drop away slightly um, as a City fan, for one thing? Do you think, as a second question, there'll be a general drop-off in other fans or the media or, uh, you know, just the way that City are looked at now in these next three games. Because on paper, I think technically we need three more points to qualify for the Champions League, assuming that we can we can uh, get into it next season. But in, in reality, these are all dead rubbers now, building up to the Arsenal FA Cup semi-final and onward to the Champions League. So I just wonder what your thoughts are on these next three games generally in terms of whether you're excited by it, whether you care about it, whether you'll watch it as intently. I'll watch it. Definitely I'll watch any game on television where City's concerned or preferably live. And then Pep won't allow them to back off. I mean, they're playing for Wembley places. They're playing for Champions League places. And you wouldn't want... They wouldn't. They would not want to wish an injury on any of their colleagues. But if someone goes down, like like Sergio went down, then someone has to step up, and and they'll be thinking the same. There's no way Pep will allow him to back off, and I expect us to go out. I, I expect us to win every match in the in the Premier League between now and the end of the season. And before we play Real Madrid, I expect us to have won the FA Cup as well. And Pep expects the same, and so should the players. In terms of tractability to the media. I don't really care what, what what the media have to say. They've always got their agenda with us anyway. But so for for me as a fan, I, I watch them with the same intensity, and I want us to win with the same intensity every game. Certain games are, are more important. Of course, yeah, Arsenal's the next most important game. But I want us to win all the one the ones in between and after. How can you not want to watch what we watched last night every yeah. week, every day of your life? If I could get up every day knowing football were on, or I could go to the Etihad and watch City, I'd do it, Ian. You know what I mean? How can you? How, what, what are you going to watch instead of City on a Wednesday night? What the second half of Coronation Street? Come on, it's never as entertaining as, as watching the boys, is it? Come on, like if, if if you can't get up for any game, I know obviously for you and it's different because you're not used to watching 
a lot of games on television, so I can understand your disgruntlement at the moment with with not being able to go. And and I'm I'm de- I was devastated last night not being able to go and watch the boys against Liverpool. I'm devastated every time I see the Etihad on the television and I can't be there. But come on, what else are you going to do other than watch the boys whenever we play? And listen, if you don't get us up for it, that's down to you. But um, I, I will be there, shirt on, cap on, as always, green jacket if I choose to put it on. And Vinny will be sat behind me in the background, watch it with me with his mask on. <laughs> Go on, Louisa. Well, well, I kind of think that um, personal preferences to one side, because this is an incredibly unique year and, and a devastating year for everybody, I think. We've got to just put that to one side. And my argument, especially when people kind of say, oh, well, you're not a real fan if you sit at home watching all this real fan business and fake fan business. Look, you're a fan of the team. You're a fan of the team. You're a supporter of the club. You're a supporter of the club. So you sit there at home by yourself with your fake crowd noise or you're not your fake crowd noise and sit there and support your team because they still need your support. They still need us to be sitting at home watching and shouting them on because I'll tell you something. 12 miles across that city they can still hear me shouting tell you that now yeah go on that's, that's told me yeah, it, yeah it's top form to that <laughs> so final one for this particular podcast um, which is looking into your crystal balls but also what if um, cast decision not not the red wine as Louisa is uh, showing us now unless that's Ribena in there I don't know other blackcurrant juices are available. Um, what what's going to be the outcome? And, and does what? Let, let's look at all the, the scenarios. So, um, you know, the optimism of Caldoun is high that City will be completely exonerated. So, let, let's see that as one possibility. I personally have always felt that they'll get a one-year suspended sentence. Um, City that is, um, which means that both sides can sort of walk, walk away from it. Um, on the basis that they both won, because UEFA will say, see, you were found guilty, you have been punished, but the reality is you won't be. Then there's the possibility of a one-year ban, and then there's a possibility of a two-year ban. A two-year ban and the club therefore being labelled as being a cheating club. So first of all, let's start with Andy. Um, First of all, what do you think will happen, even though it's just a complete guess, but those four scenarios, take, take me through your thinking on what happens after those four scenarios. Well, what I, what I think will happen, this is, this is where supporting City as they have for 50 years comes in. The typical City brand comes back when it says that we're bound to get a ban. Um, and I think it will be for a year. But in saying, in saying that, Serafin at, at UEFA has said that it, it, they're going to review the um, financial fair play regulations because they don't think they work. So how can you be found guilty of a crime and then for the crime itself to be deemed invalid a few months later? I think... Well, well, well let me let me come in on that because obviously my job's to play devil's advocate, okay. right? It's 30 miles an hour uh, speed limit on the road that you've just been caught on. A year after you got caught while you're waiting to get convicted, they move it up to 40 mile an hour and you were doing 38 that's the same thing. That would be how, how UEFA would argue it because this is an, um, a punishment if it's, if it's given to City for an historical offence, even though it might change going forward. Can you see what I mean by that? 
I, I, I do see what you mean, as, and, and this sort of analogy you gave is a, is a good one. But I think this is slightly slightly different in the effect that they've admitted that the actual regulations are, are, are flawed, and that in, that owners aren't allowed to invest their own money when they can afford it, and now debt is not taken into consideration when working out what a club can and cannot make. How can you? make any income to spend on players unless you actually invest to begin with. There's a saying I used to recall from my local government days that was called invest to save. You have to go out and splash out. Then once you're attractive, then you attract the sponsors, then you attract the TV deals and merchandise sales, and then you start to make money. So this close shop mentality that, that forbids that stops any future city, if you like, um, taking shape. Everton have got a billionaire owner, so have Crystal Palace, so have Aston Villa, but they can't spend what we like what we've done because they, they said you can always spend what you earn, which takes me back to my original argument. They've identified there are flaws in their, in their legislation. And I think if we get a ban of any given sort, I think that it won't end there. Caldoon will, will take them to the next level of judiciary to take it from there. So my heart says, we're gonna we're gonna prove them wrong and we'll and we'll we'll get off and that will be for the betterment of football. But my head seems to think it'll be a one year ban, but I don't think that's the end of the story. I think there's a, there's far more chapters in this book. Marlon, do you worry? Do you sleep at night on the basis that you're anxious that City get banned, um, Kevin De Bruyne goes, uh, can't sign players in the summer. Um, we get tarnished as a club with cheats. Do you worry about that? What do you think is going to happen? Listen, Mansour, Sheikh Mansour, to give him his title. What a legend, Sheikh Mansour. Um, and Keldon Omabarak, and Cheeky, and Ferran. Um, they arrived after Keldoon and the Sheikh. But from day one, back in August 2008, when I was in Tenerife with my dad and found out that we'd been taken over by the Abu Dhabi United group, I've trusted every word they've said and every promise they've given every City fan out there, they've delivered on. They've never let us down before. And, you know, yes, at the start, when we first heard about the ban, it's like, oh, no, I hope we've not done anything wrong. But now I've had time to think about it. And when I saw Ferran Soriano do that talk and, and, and sit in front of the camera with Chris and tell him exactly what we've done and not done and how we'd gone about certain things and that we were, we were clean as a whistle, I sat there that day and watched that interview in and believed that everything that Ferran Soriano was saying was gospel truth. And until, you know, anyone can prove different, you're not going to change my viewpoint on it. Um, if you were for of, 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 of twisted things or tried to do something to fit an agenda, then that's, that's something that I'm sure will get brought out in the washing at the end of it all. But where I stand right now, I understand what you're saying about what the repercussions of a ban and et cetera, et cetera, could be. But, you know, we spoke on Valentine's Day, believe it or not, about this. And, you know, my viewpoint has changed since then. I was very scared then. I was like, why is this happening? But now I've had time to think about it. I trust in what the gaffer, the owners and the chairman and everybody else surrounded with the club have been saying. And I trust them 100%. And you know what? What will be, will be, Ian. But at the end of the day, we're going to Wembley. I've left uh, Louisa to the end of this little uh, debate because I'm expecting another um, Paul Lake-type Churchillian speech. So... Over to you, Louisa. Hang on a minute. I'm just going to make sure we can hear you. Uh, we're going to come to look right now. She's a, now she's live. I'm here. I'm here. Right. Okay. So not that I'm bitter, but if there's any of our players that only want to play for us for a European title, I'll help them pack their bags. Okay. Even if it's That's Kevin. 
uh, that yeah i'll help him i'll help him personally with my mask and my gloves on if he's only <laughs> staying for europe that's fine for him i'm not bitter but i'll help him go i don't believe a player like de bruyne is only here for europe i think there are certain players that we have that love our club or not necessarily because it's like manchester in manchester even though it's the best city on the planet but they love our club because of what we represent the honesty the integrity if we've done wrong we'll get punished a, a different way that's none of the players aren't interested the players just want to play they want to play for a team that makes them feel important that makes them feel valued that makes them feel loved and that makes them feel like they're part of a family and manchester is a family and manchester city is a family so anyone that that, that wants to play for this club that's for this club because of those reasons will stay so I'm not worried about anybody that wants to stay and anybody that wants to leave I am I'm really happy for them I am I'm, they can they can go and I'm happy for them in a nice way but Brian I don't think he's here for Europe he's already that team is molding around him in a very positive way not an egotistical way in a way that he's going to be a massive influence at this club for his personal career for his personal goals and someone like De Bruyne is going to stay and the majority of the others will stay as well and I'm very happy to see them stay well, yeah, really yeah. positive end to the uh, to the to the podcast. Uh, thanks very much to CharlesLouis.co.uk, a Chartered Mortgage Advisors, um, great sponsors, great supporters of what I'm trying to do with Forever Blue and continue to do. Thanks to the the great support of you, the listener, but also people like Andy, Harlan, and Louisa, and lots of other people who contribute either to the vlog or to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks most of all to Manchester City because without them, we'd have nothing to talk about. And uh, and I, for one, have been an obsessed fan for as long as anybody can remember, because I'm older than everybody else. So thanks very much to to all of you for contributing. Um, the next podcast, as I say, I think what I'm going to plan to do is uh, is leave it now for about just over a week uh, until the outcome, uh, if it comes on that Monday the 13th, which I think it does, which is two days after the uh, the game down at Brighton. Um, and we'll do a podcast then reacting to the repercussions of Cass and looking back at the, the last three games. So until the next time, uh, don't forget there will be match day vlogs on YouTube. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Ian Cheeseman and you'll see the links to those for the next three games. Um, and all I can say is, and I'm sure my three guests tonight will absolutely echo this, it's great being a blue. Mm -hmm.